Welcome to the Ordinals Podcast, produced by Ord Media, featuring the top builders, projects, and investors pioneering Bitcoin inscription protocols and the future of digital artifacts. Check one, two. All right, and I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, yeah. Did, uh, did you bring a fire? I brought the fire. We you were ready to the go. Fire. I was checking the mempool this morning, and it appears to be on fire right now. And my first thought was like, okay, so if we're all here, who is, who is using Bitcoin right now? Who are the ones inscribing? Yeah. Who's actually inscribing Someone right has now? their laptop, laptop open and like blasting the mempool stuff? Because this is wild. It's like 120-something for, for, for B-Byte right, right now. Right now, yeah. That's, that's the clearing rate, which is great for miners, which is, uh, you know, that's where I, where I come from. And I guess you come from now. And even before yeah. now, you were a miner. So it, these are all good things. When uh, when Ragnar approached me to come to do this conference in Miami, I did not currently work for Nick. So now you have uh, now Nick has hired me and Cypher as the crack like ordinals team, and uh, so we're kind of representing Luxor up here right now. Yeah, yeah. So we're representing Luxor, but you know Luxor has a lot of brands. We have Hashrate Index, which like tracks all of the you know all of the mining metrics. Um, you know, the reason I got into ordinals was really because I saw this is like natural demand for block space, uh, continued demand. Uh, we've seen bursts of demand for block space over time, meaning uh, like you look at Binance, like they do their, their consolidations that take, you know, maybe a few days and, you know, sat per V-byte goes up to like 40 or 50. Um, but never, it never has really sustained. Um, really, the last time there was a, uh, a big glut of, of transaction fee was like 2017 uh, when we were all like sending uh, Bitcoin back and forth between shitcoin exchanges to like, you know, buy and, and all yeah. sorts of stuff. And then some unnamed pools were mining empty blocks. It was a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that was true. That was around the, uh, oh yeah, that was also around the, uh, the fork wars. So they Block were mining empty wars. blocks yeah. and the, uh, the, the, so yeah, the reason they were mining empty blocks is because it was actually a, a little more efficient and they were like maximizing the value of hash rate by um, uh, basically excluding transactions, getting the, the header out faster to all of their uh, their uh, miners. And then actually during that time, there was this other thing called... Um, the block size war. Well, ASIC boost. ASIC so they, were, they were doing covert ASIC boost, and if the, fo the, the fork went in, the SegWit fork went in, uh, they would no longer be able to do ASIC boost. ASIC boost reduces the energy consumption of your miner by like 20%. So you can do it covertly, which you used to be able to do before the SegWit fork, uh, but then after that fork, you were able to, you, you can only do it overtly. I feel like we got like really into the weeds on mining really quick. Good point, yeah. Let's, Do we, we want to like back let's up? back it down a it, little. Here's the thing, like, and, you know, Nick and I live and breathe in this world for, for, for years, and um, now that we have an influx of fresh faces, a lot of whom come from, uh, uh, you know, a network that uses gas, we use fees on Bitcoin, but there's a lot of people who, with newfound BRC20 wealth, want to figure out where to put it, and they're asking me about, like, how do I get into mining, or for whatever reason, um, Nick, do we want to do? What's your like, like half a paragraph? What what is Bitcoin mining like pitch to like a new person? Even like why they, they should do it? No, no, just like what even is it? Like right. I I don't want to assume that everybody even knows what it is. It's kind of arcane. It's kind of weird. If you've been trading NFTs for the past two or three years, maybe you've thought, oh, Bitcoin is this thing that uses energy. It's bad. Just don't think about it. But like. That's part of why we do inscriptions on Bitcoin now to inherit its security benefits. So what is Bitcoin mining? Okay. 
So Bitcoin mining is mathematically equivalent to uh, guessing lottery numbers. Uh, and basically, if you were to attempt to win the lottery, uh, the, way, the only way that you could in, uh, increase your chances would be to guess more numbers more quickly, uh, more quickly than everybody else. So now imagine Charlie and I are guessing numbers from a lottery. Uh, and basically, if one of us hits the right number, uh, we win the Bitcoin. Um, so my way, my way about competing him is by adding more, uh, more guesses. And that's in that's equivalent to uh, adding more miners. So if you have more miners, the chance of you winning the block is higher. Now, why do we do this work? Um, basically, what we're doing is we're demonstrating to the Bitcoin blockchain that we have some economic interest in the consensus, meaning the, the, the state of the chain at any point in time. Uh, and the, so the reason that we do this, um, uh, basically, we're not, we're not actually doing this for the Bitcoin. We're doing this to produce a consensus. The network rewards us with Bitcoin for doing that work because that's like, that's like the classical SAS, SAS, uh, Nak, Nakamoto consensus is like having uh, some de demonstrable proof of, of work. Uh, and it has to be wasted work, actually. Um, there's like reasons why it needs to be wasted because you need to be demonstrating that you're, you're, you're purely spent. motivated. What's that? I say spent, not wasted. Yeah, wasted, spent. Um, it, it, you can't have other motivations. That's why like, we, we can probably talk about MEV. MEV is a pretty interesting topic. Um, that's where you're getting rewards outside of the standard protocol. Um, and so that, that's where things start to get a little weird. It can start to break the consensus mechanism a little, a little bit. But That was like... Five paragraphs, but that, that's okay, good. Okay, hopefully it was good. I mean, we have 30 minutes, so. We have 30 minutes that we have to fill, um, just like you filled a full block with a four megger. Um, a lot of people here have seen the famous Taproot Wizard. That was this guy, and now that is us, who uh, us. represent that kind of cool-ass deal flow. So um, what is a, f what, what even is that? How did you do it? Yeah, so, uh, so the, a standard Bitcoin transaction can be up to 400 kilobytes. Anything less than that uh, is good to go. You can just send that from your, your node. Obviously, it's very expensive, but um, it's, you're good to go. Um, you, there are transactions that can be greater than that, but less than four megabytes. And the reason uh, that we can't do that typically is because there's something called the mempool policy. So if you run a node at home, there's probably somebody running a node in this building right now. Uh, if some, they received a transaction that was greater than 400 kilobytes, they would drop it on the floor. And, uh, and, and it basically, it, it's a DDoS vector. And so that's why they removed that, um, that ability. Well, we removed that bit of logic from the mempool at Luxor so that way we can inject blocks that are, or, or transactions that are much bigger than that, uh, up to four megabytes, which is actually the, the limit based on a bunch of different parameters of the consensus. Um, and so, yeah, when Udi approached us and was like, hey, we kind of want, you know, we know you guys like to do interesting things with hash rate and do all sorts of, uh, of, of fun stuff uh, in the mining ecosystem. Do you think you could help us? Do you think you could put this big wizard uh, into the mempool and get it mined. And of course, you know, I jumped on that because I was like, this is something interesting, like nothing interesting in mining really ever happens. It's been, it's been like pretty uh, telegraph for the past two years, like, okay, well, we kind of resurrect the, the Chinese hash rate uh, thing, but here in North America and other, and other countries. But yeah, like this is totally different. This is crazy for even Bitcoin miners who like, the, in, the the crossover between like Bitcoin miner and NFT person is like just me and Nick and that's and maybe Beezy. That's about like the, it. It's like yep. the three of us who are into this kind of thing.
yeah. that are really into it. All the other, like I'm obviously integrated with a lot of mining communities and they're just like, this is great. We're making tons of money. Like last week, we literally doubled the revenue that we would have had otherwise. Like, this is awesome. Like I'm a super long BRC. I don't even know what BRC 20s are, but like they're super pumped on them. Um, super pumped on those, inscriptions, everything. If you can fill the blocks and make people want to pay for that, uh, we're all for it. Okay, so uh, I'll try to rehash what you said about how, because I find that like sometimes you got to say how the big wizard was put into a Bitcoin block a few times for people okay. to kind of like get yeah, it. Go for it. So um, a lot of, so if you've been to mempool.space, you see what is a mempool, which is on a node, which is what that website runs. But every node that you run has its own mempool, which looks and sees all the transactions that are broadcast to it. Um, and then for Bitcoin miners, when a pool like Luxor hits a block, we, one of the ASICs that points to our pool hits a block, we get the option of producing the next block. And so we basically look through our own node's mempool, select the optimal transactions, and include that um, into a block, which is then in, uh, added to the Bitcoin blockchain. But historically, we've chosen, it's been pretty simple, the most profitable transactions to include uh, go in first. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Yep. Of course, there's a lot of complexity to it. But we can choose to put other transactions in, such as a big wizard with uh, not a normal uh, fee associated with it. So if we have a deal with somebody like Udi, um, or uh, say Bitcoin Magazine for the Julian Assange. We actually brought a physical oh, yeah. version, a physical copy. We yeah. inscribed this as a four megger, which was pretty sweet. Uh, this will be the the copy for this month. Uh, the Julian Assange issue, Julian Assange issue, which I'm very excited about. I believe that they're going to do a, a bit of a collection based on this, which is going to be exciting as well. So there will be uh, some Bitcoin Mag art uh, coming your way. Yeah, and so like that cool mechanic demonstrates just how. Um, let's say you do want to do something bigger than just a big wizard, something um, even cooler. I don't know what it might be, but that's like the mechanic. You'd reach out to Nick and or someone, and uh, right. and you got to work with a mining pool to then produce that block. And it opens up a lot of really so a lot of the stuff that happens on Bitcoin, especially in Bitcoin mining, is like, well, can we do this? Why would we do this? Well, we don't know. And then it and then we discover these mechanics, and then they become more sophisticated over time. And it feels really cool to like be a part of the first time that's really done. Yeah, we were part of the first time. We've done a couple of other things. So we call these bespoke mints. Basically, they're mints that you couldn't do on your own or inscriptions that you couldn't do on your own. Meaning, you know, if you wanted to inscribe a bunch of art, most likely you can go download the org client and figure out how to do it. Or, you know, most likely you can figure it out. It's actually not quite hard. Um, but doing things that we call, we call these like bespoke blocks, like the big wizard or there was... Um, um, the D-Gods. The D-Gods mint was also especially cool. It wasn't actually... Um, it was a full block, but the thing that made it interesting is that we ordered all of the, the D-Gods uh, in order, and then also made sure that there were no other tr transactions or inscriptions within that block. So that way when it was mined, um, this was back when ordinals.com was kind of like the prototype, and that was the only place that you could go to see uh, all of the inscriptions. There was really no like collection mechanic yet, and so basically what it was, it was super aesthetic to just see all D-Gods for like four or five pages. And if you're a nerd like uh, Cypher, our Ordinal Hub full stack engineer, he calls it the most beautiful block I've ever seen. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, Cypher really likes the visualization of mempool space, uh, and if you go check out the dgods block, uh, it actually is it's very uh, it's very symmetrical. Uh, it's very uh, it looks like it was very handcrafted and curated, which it was, uh, and I think that was one of the things that you know Frank, the the dgods legend, um, you know he was the you know he was the one that kind of came up with the idea, and and it turned out really really well. And I think it's one of those things where uh, you know we're going to continue to see really interesting uh, inscriptions coming out different. Different, different ways that people can be artistic. Like, uh, like for example, actually the Bitcoin mag, uh, big uh, four megger was actually on an uncommon sat, which is somewhat interesting. Um, and I think eventually there's going to be an epic or a rare and all sorts of interesting ways that uh, you know that people can do this stuff. And it just it just shows how creative the NFT community is. And it, one of my favorite parts about ordinals and what like this movement brings is a new culture to Bitcoin, and it changes the culture and it brings real culture and, and, and art and innovation uh, to what was, in my opinion, somewhat of a stagnating chain, at least culturally. The, you talk about the art, and it's really interesting because this art is information, and you can put it into Bitcoin blocks. And I like to make this analogy kind of like the, you know, the painters of the Sistine Chapel. Um, that is a beautiful piece of art that stands the test of time. And even hundreds of years later, we look up at it and we marvel at it. And we think, oh, what an incredible um, painter. But in order for that to happen, you have to have in engineers build this you know, chapel around it. And it's a collaboration between the um, analytical engineering mind with the artistic. To not say that the these are separate colloquial sides of the brain, but like there's a really bright future of collaboration between nerds like Nick and I, and then artists like, God, I guess, is Udi an artist now? Then no, the, Francisco is the artist. Francisco, oh, Francisco, Francisco, yeah. yeah. Far is the, the artist. artist. Yeah. Alex Far is an absolute legend, by the way. Do not clip me saying Udi's an artist. The, um, the man is an absolute legend. He just yeah. pumps out the most incredible art. Um, it's extremely talented artist, yeah. which... Bitcoin hasn't really had like that type of that type of talent. You know, they've had a lot of really good engineers. You know, I've seen some engineers that I know in the, in you know in the audience. Like, uh, they have some of the smartest brains working on deep cryptography and deep deep technological problems. Um, but there are other you know talents out there like artists and and you know uh, movement makers. Frank, uh, I don't think Frank really does the art, but man, he he does craft a movement. He's a very focused visionary. I yeah, um, I'm really impressed by his like. Focus, even because that was a conversation that originated like a week or two into inscriptions really yeah, taking very off, quickly. which is crazy. Um, so you mentioned uh, uncommon, rare satoshis. Some of us want to get our grubby hands on those; those are very desirable. This is a kind of a rarity scheme that Casey proposed, which is intuitive, which is pretty cool. I think it's cool, um, and uh, this gets into a really interesting mechanic. So where do rare and uncommon sats come from? They're a, with each new block or difficulty adjustment or kind of event in Bitcoin, these Satoshis pop out and are added to the Bitcoin blockchain. But um, this opens up a really interesting uh, kind of collector gamified mechanic marketplace. I like to imagine block producers uh, as like the deal flow and future production of uncommon Satoshis. Right. 
So, so yeah. yeah, so just so we're all on the same page like of what an ordinal is. An ordinal is actually just a Satoshi. The inscription is the art that goes along with the ordinal. Um, the ordinal theory states that every Satoshi can be individually numbered between one and 2.1 quadrillion, uh, maybe zero. Raf Jaff, I don't know, he's looking at me weird. Uh, could be between zero or one uh, to 2.1 quadrillion. Uh, but anyway, so they've all been individually numbered, and the idea is that the very first block, uh, or very first in, uh, Satoshi of every block is uncommon. Uh, the very first Satoshi of the difficulty adjustment is considered a rare. Uh, the very first Satoshi of a um, of a having is considered an epic, and then there's there's the very first Satoshi ever is a mythic. So there's only three epics. We only had there's three only three. So the work, someone, one of our uh, colleagues or associates in the business is going to produce an epic Satoshi here yep. in about, within a year or so. In about one year, there's going to be another epic Satoshi, and I'm going to be on the hunt for that damn we're thing. Gonna, we're going to, everybody point your hash rate to Luxor so that we, so can, we can get track that it epic. Down. We can where would this we'll is a fractionalize the epic. Where should we the, send it? That's a great question. Who should we give it to? Burn we it to like the gift Genesis it to, <laughs> Gift it to BZ. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that thing could probably go for, you know, eight figures. Damn, I don't know. I mean, this is a great fun thing. What are these worth? Like Nullish right now, uh, one of the great or OG sat hunters of our age, it just lit, our just age. sold <laughs> our four month age. Our four month. Uh, well, that's an eternity in this business. Um, he just sold an uncommon for like 0.4 Bitcoin. The auction today. I don't know if you saw that today. Oh, that was yeah. the ALS one, right? I, that's about a, yeah. I saw one tweet. It was for Hal Finney. I, it was for Hal Finney. So it was a charity for Hal Finney, I believe. So RIP. Rock on. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it creates this really interesting um, mechanic where we're all trying to, you can hunt Satoshis that already exist, or you can be in the business of producing them. What a hypothetical situation. Are we going to try to like, do you think there's going to be competition, MEV, reorg competition on there, that epic, difficult, that, uh, that having block. So here's, I mean, so it really depends on how this market forms. Obviously, there is not really a liquid market for uncommons right now. Nullish has sold two, I believe. Um, we sold one, or I guess we kind of gave one uh, to Bitcoin Mag. Uh, we obviously produce a lot of them, um, but we haven't really produced a liquid market yet. And so that's, I mean, that's something we're working on. We are working on Sat Scanner. I believe it was supposed to go live today. Tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. at noon. Okay, tomorrow at noon. Uh, Sat Scanner, you basically go in and put your uh, Bitcoin address in, and we are able to scan it and say. Yes, you've got X number of, of rares or, or in commons or whatever. Uh, and then the next step will be we'll, we'll produce a script that you can run to harvest them. Basically, put in your address uh, where you want them to go, and then they get pulled out of your regular uh, transactions so that way you don't accidentally send them or spend them somewhere. Um, yeah, one of the issues is that we're all here at Miami. We're not, we're not able to work on part two of this, but if you pay attention to the Ordinal Hub socials, this next week, we will shill it. Um, you'll start seeing cool ways where you can search through your UTXO set to get those uncommons, or pizza sats, or finny sats, or palindromes, or there's a number of like ways we could classify this. This is, if you have a cool idea for categorizing Satoshis, hit me up, because I'd love to hear it. I think this is the most fascinating thing right now. I think we have a question from the audience, which yeah. is yeah. exciting. I don't think so. It would be very interesting. But I mean, if that is all it took to 51% attack Bitcoin, I would say that Bitcoin is already broken. Um, so I would say that no, uh, most likely not. And 
And I would say that, it, I mean, unless the thing was worth, I don't know, what if, if, if a market develops and it's worth $10 billion, maybe. Uh, but I don't think that that's going to happen, most likely, uh, though I would like it to, uh, because that means my uncommons are worth a ton as well. But um, no, I don't think that it will. But it, it, is, it is a really interesting point, which gets into like some of the MEV stuff where I think of, you know, we could see um, you know, MEV start to have what, some, what does MEV oh. stand for? It, it has like two definite Minor two extracted value. Or maximum extract. It's maximum kind of whichever. I don't know. It, I yeah. think it technically is maximum extractable value, but it, we just call it minor extracted value because the miners are the only ones that can actually extract that value. That is, the broad definition is um, ways for miners to make more money beyond just simple, like, standard boilerplate ordering of transactions as they... You, you, you're getting money, you're basically getting extra reward for the way that you order the transactions within the block. In ETH, it's very important, obviously, that they, they, they went so far as to, like, develop Flashbots, which you know, was like a searching thing for uh, basically people to inject their transactions and reduce the, you know, reduce the, uh, the, the value extracted by the miner. Um, really the idea, and the reason for that is because before Flashbots, what we saw in ETH was that uh, mining pools were realizing we can sandwich attack all of these, you know, these DeFi swaps. So like, for example, if you saw a big swap, you could remove liquidity, let the swap occur, to take on the ARB and then add the liquidity back all atomically. And in layman's terms, if you're trying to use Unisat, or not Unisat, shoot, Uniswap, um, and you're trying to swap shitcoin A for shitcoin B, um, and you're like, why are the spreads so big? It's because you probably got sandwich attack or something. Yeah, exactly. You got sandwich attack. There's other. The, the money that you just lost went to some. Uh, you know, backdoor. Uh, yeah, there's deal. like flash loans. There's all sorts of different things that you can do with MEV, and I think that we're going to start to see that with BRC20. Uh, just recently heard that um, that there is a pool out there that's doing that with Stacks transactions. Um, they're basically censoring some of the transactions that Stacks needs. Uh, I don't know if they're censoring them or if they're moving them around in the block, but they're uh, basically extracting extra value from uh, from Stacks because they're able to do that. BRC20 is really interesting because. Yes, it's mania. It's I personally don't think the standard is very compelling, but regardless, right. it drives a lot of fees for miners. And it dem what we've seen is it demonstrates a really interesting mechanic that I that you talked about, which I I think is worth kind of like kind of teasing out because this is really interesting. The 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 MEV on Bitcoin, because the way that BRC twenty transactions currently uh, uh, work are shout out Domo. Um, uh, you, it's kind of a, world, a messaging protocol. So the, the actual like inscription of BRC20 balances are, don't happen. They're, they're transfer functions, they're deploy and mint functions. And um, so the ordering of those matters. So if uh, you have, uh, if someone creates a token of supply, say 21 million, and um, all but 1,000 are left to mint, and you and another person broadcast your transactions to mint that last 1,000, um, let's say you have the same fee, but you actually call your buddy up, you call Nick up and you say, hey Nick, I know you got the next block, can you put my transaction in first? Right. And I'll give you like one extra Satoshi for doing that. That's MEV where now you have achieved kind of an outside ancillary benefit or goal by allowing your transaction to be first. So we saw this, we've kind of seen little glimpses of this the past 
few weeks. Yeah, certainly, and I think that it's going to continue to grow, especially because of the proliferation of MEV on on ETH. Um, you know, the, basically, yeah, like you said, you can just order the transactions differently and extract that value yourself. You can also do things like um, since since none of this is like encrypted, you could basically like modify people's deploys, um, all sorts of things that you can do with mempool monitoring. Um, but yeah. Um, I mean, I know we only have two minutes. Do you want to ask and oh, try yeah. to get some questions, on maybe? That, yeah, on that subject, it's it's complicated, and it brings a lot of cool new things, a lot of scary things, right. and I'm confident Bitcoin will survive and grow healthily. That's the TLDR of my opinion. TLDR, yep. Um, a question. Do we have any questions? Diego. Hardware mining or hardware wallets? Hardware mining. Mm, I don't think, I think we're, pa unfortunately I think we're past, uh, you know, any meaningful amount of hash rate coming from hobbyist miners. I mean, I would say now it's probably in the low single digits percentage of hash rate is coming from folks that have less than five machines. Um, so I think plug and play is is kind of, at this point it's, it's more of a hobby. There may be some ulterior motive that you would want to, um, you know, that you would want to do that sort of activity basically. Uh, KYC free sats or, or contributing to the network or using some extra heat, you know, producing some extra heat to like, I, I, I use an S9 to heat my, uh, my office in the winter. Uh, you just basically turn the fan down to like 5% and it just sits there and idles, produces, you know, four or 500 watts, which is great, but, uh, and a few sats here and there. But otherwise, uh, that type of activity home is most likely not going to happen. I mean, there's, you know, if you haven't been to a mining facility, they're huge. They're as big as this hotel, and they produce tons and tons of heat and sound and noise, which you can't really do at home. I'll make a short case for home mining. It's not going to be a huge part of the network, probably, but there are uh, extra benefits to it. You learn a lot about how Bitcoin mining works. You get to tinker. You get to custom, and you get to own it yourself, because um, a lot of people say, not your hash, not your... I'm not even sure what the phrase is, but yeah. you know what it is. Um, I think it like, you don't go and you just deploy a 10,000 ASICs. You go and you deploy one and two, and then you scale that to 100. And then you go deploy 10,000 once you hate your life and you want to like have a, a never-ending side hobby. Yeah, and mining is super fun. So you can, if you're like, if that, that can be a perfect, like ordinals are fun. That could be a perfectly uh, reasonable, you know, reasonable reason to do uh, home mining. It's super fun. What Last question. Yeah, you totally mine at home for those reasons. But also, question: uh, You mentioned Sat Scanner as a privacy-conscious individual. If I provide you my addresses, you now know all my addresses. Now, is there something on the roadmap for people who have their own indexes that can plug in and get that information out without me having to tell you anything? We want to allow people to do it right now. We're going to build a tool that allows anyone. Yeah. It's the standard of privacy assumptions with Bitcoin Apply for this. If you give people your address, they're going to know it. It's the same way we're a private company. We want to cool, provide a cool service. And we hope to uh, encourage individuals to do privacy-conscious things in the yeah, future. If you can paste your outlets into ordinals.com and check to see if you have any uncommon. You can do that, too. Yep. Does that run server-side or client-side? Server-side. Yeah, we just yeah. make it way easier. So what I would people. do, like in your case, if you are privacy conscious, what I would do is uh, I would do the index, the SAT index. I mean, it takes, it'll take you like a week, but um, do that. And then you, you can list all of the uncommons, rares, whatever you have in any of your, basically you put in your output and it'll give you all of that.
Uh, the reason, the re yeah, we, the, we wanted to add the extension, extensibility of doing addresses because, uh, like for example, like my my mining, uh, my mining address at home, I get paid one time every day, and uh, you know, been getting paid for 365 days and never moved. So I have 365 UTXOs. It'd be great to just like put in the address and be like, oh yeah, you got a couple in these different UTXOs. Yeah, give it a try. It should be fun. Ah. Beasy, what do you got? Uh, I was going to ask, so I absolutely love the idea of ripping four megas. I think it's awesome. I think what's super cool about it is it turns Bitcoin block space into a giant billboard, effectively. Um, but in order to do that, you kind of have to do an out-of-band transaction, right? So Not anymore. We don't do it that way anymore. Oh, you don't? Yeah. Okay. So that kind of, I was going to ask, if the number of out-of-band transactions increases as a result of wanting to do more exotic things, with block space, would that Yeah, 100%. I mean, so there's a couple of attack vectors here. If you wanted to do that, you could basically set the fee to zero, uh, mine the block, take the payment out of band from the customer, uh, and then what you're doing is perturbing the uh, the FPPS rate. The FPPS rate is the rate that all mining pools are paying across uh, basically the, the network. Uh, you could perturb it downward, but you're still making extra revenue. So you would effectively be able to bankrupt FPPS pools by doing this. Um, I don't want to do, I, I mean, I, as a small mining pool, it wouldn't really affect us and the ones that are doing ordinals. Uh, I'm not t too worried about it, but it is definitely an attack vector if we start putting in zero fee, um, zero fee big big blocks and get paid out of band. Um, so there's definitely that, uh, but we, we, we don't do that anymore. We did the one time for the, the wizard mostly to be provocative and you know do something weird that other people haven't done before. But now what we do is we basically charge some premium over what this prevailing rate is. Uh, not a lot of four megas going in when the uh, prevailing rate is 150 sats per V-byte because we'd probably be charging somewhere around four to 450, uh, which is not very attractive, especially when you're mining an entire block. It would be like probably like six or eight Bitcoin to do that. So. Bitcoin mining and uh, Bitcoin pool operations is a race to zero. So on a long timeline, these this dynamic fee market, whether it happens on band or out of band, um, should eventually coalesce into uh, uh, a robust security policy. Yeah, agreed. Well. Do you think the future of mining is more centralized than decentralized? Are you excited about any hardware that might hit the market that could make it more decentralized? Like. So the question was, is there any uh, hardware coming to market that might help decentralize the, the mining, basically the mining ecosystem? Uh, really, the... So Foundry is 35-ish percent, and they're the biggest, but then it's very it's a very long tail from there. There's several pools that are two to three percent. Uh, you know, the, the rest of the pools, it, it does definitely tail down. Um, but I would say that most likely, the, the reason we won't see too much centralization is because of the scarcity of energy. Energy is generally evenly distributed around the world because the sun more or less hits all of the, uh, you know, all the energy that we've absorbed comes from the sun. Um, and so that energy is generally distributed around the world in, in one shape or form uh, or another, uh, either through sun or wind or, um, you know, trapped in the earth as fossil fuels or gravity. There's all different ways that you can harness energy. Uh, and I think that energy is pretty much prolific around the world. And so that means that uh, really you just need to be tapping it. Right now we're seeing a huge influx of miners going into the Mideast um, where they have a very big methane problem, uh, where they they want to be able to capture that methane, and so that's like a big story right now in mining is how can we cap that methane and use it to, to mine Bitcoin with. Um, 
Also seen uh, a big influx back into uh, the, the Scandinavian areas. Um, and then uh, Russia, which is kind of the elephant in the room. Russia is probably the biggest uh, purchaser of mining machines right now. We saw this happen like a decade ago, like with Ghash or whatever. And so, yeah, yeah and these, these problems, they're, they're embedded into Bitcoin's game theory. We've seen this happen. Bitcoin has survived. It, there, are, there are innumerous like, events in the future which spur on further decentralization. Um, and part of it is just us knowing these are challenges and fighting to preserve Bitcoin's ethos. Awesome. Cool. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review our show. Subscribe to the Ordinals podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite app, and follow us on Twitter at the Ord Pod. Drop us a line at podcast at org.media for topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like us to interview. Ordinals 2024 conference is taking place in Nashville. Early bird passes are available now. Visit org.media and sign up for our newsletter. Thanks for listening to the Ordinals podcast, produced by Ord Media.